Perfect. So we live in a world of instant gratification. You might disagree with me. Um, maybe the elderly amongst us would say, no, I don't. I, I'm, I'm happy with the process. But I think that all, all of us have bought into the fact of living in an age of instant gratification. Our, our lives are very often summed up by a Queen song. You can make it louder. We've got to crank this. Well, just listen to it once more. It's a little bit louder, Kev. We'll just end it there because you guys are enjoying it a little bit too much. <laughs> I think our lives are very often summed up by the words in that song. I want it all, I want it all, and I want it now. And we may brush it off as progress. We're not about wanting things now, but we're about progress. We're about excellence. We're about doing things on time. We're about doing things to standard. And that may be true, but I think also, it might actually be impatience, and it might be a cover-up for us just wanting what we want and wanting it now. We're very good at covering up these sorts of things. We want things at a click of our fingers. We have electricity at the flick of a switch in other countries. But <laughs> when, it's not, when it's not the eight-hour load shedding, we do. Okay, so we have in other countries, but that's what we want. People in other societies didn't have that, but we want that. We want electricity at the flick of a switch. We want movies on demand. It's not enough to head to a movie, or for those of us growing up in uh, our generation, which would probably be the 90s, the early 90s, uh, where there was only really TV from five to seven in the evening anyway. Most of the time it was rubbish that you didn't want to watch, but occasionally you could watch Skippy the Bush Kangaroo. And uh, that's what we got to choose. We're in the age of instant communication, and if you send someone a WhatsApp and there's two blue ticks, boy, that person better reply soon. They better reply soon because they have read it, they've read your message, and they are choosing not to reply now. Gone are the days of telephones where you had party lines, two shorts, three longs, um, or the days where you would phone someone and say, hi, is so-and-so there? No, they aren't. Do you know when they're getting back? We're not sure. Maybe try later. No, we don't have that age anymore. We want to, when we want to speak to someone, we want to speak to them now and they must answer us now. People have to be contactable at every time of night or day. No need to memorize telephone numbers anymore because they're on our phones. What filled the time before? Well, what did we do to fill the time before we had instant news and before we had Facebook? What do we do before we went to sleep at night? What do we do when we woke up in the morning? What do we do when our spouse or someone that we knew, um, we were out at a restaurant and they quickly went to the toilet? What did we do when we didn't have a phone? 
mean, I just know myself, if I'm out with Sarah or something, and one of us goes to the toilet, it's like, well, what should I do? And after about five seconds, I'm like, I just have this burning feeling that I need to pick up my phone. Sometimes I'll be holding it without even noticing it because it's just a bit awkward now to just sit and not do anything. We have to be on it all the time. And how do people live without a car to get them from A to B so quickly? Well, they manage fine, and we do now as well because we don't have a lot of fuel. So we think about it more likely. If there's one thing I reckon I couldn't handle if it was before old times now, before now, would be no ice blocks. Because in all honesty, I just love those things. And I think back to Jesus' time, I think back to old, old times in warmer climates, it would have been the most depressing thing to not have ice. Because <laughs> a lukewarm Coke, they obviously didn't have it, or lukewarm water would have been terrible. They wouldn't have known any different, right? I just can't think of a world without ice blocks. So, so that's for me, it would have driven me mad. The list is endless, but I think for most of us, there is an element of wanting it all, wanting things, and wanting them now. That attitude and perspective infiltrates every aspect of our lives, including our faith. It's not a healthy thing, but it does affect our faith. Because of the culture that we're in, we can often then expect God to work for us instantaneously as well. And when he doesn't, there's a big problem. Because he must. Just like the flick of a switch, just like two blue ticks, God must act for us and he must act when we want him to. He's our genie on demand, he's our slot machine but he actually isn't and he doesn't work like that. And until we understand that he isn't a God of the instantaneous, until we understand the process that he works through, we're gonna get frustrated with him, we're gonna get frustrated in life, we're not gonna get to the place where he wants us to be at. He's a God of the process and he is never hurried. He's always exactly on time. And I think that what you'll find is that even as we look through biblical times, or even in the world in which we're around us today, when there's something instantaneous, there's something miraculous, it's actually on the back of a process. So an instantaneous work in someone's life is on the back of many years of process leading up to that point. God creating the world in which we live, and there may be some things that look like they're instantaneous, well actually he planned it out and he set it out before the world began. And so he's a God of process and in this instantaneous moments within that process. And it seems like God works much like the bamboo plant. So I've got a little bit here. Maybe, oh, Byron, please, can you bring it? Byron will be the model for today. Thank you very much. Looking good as always. So Byron will come and bring this. Now, uh, the bamboo plant, there's a famous story about it. It's used in motivational talks. And some of you, ah, oh, thank you. Very, very good. So there's this, uh, the this, story of uh, the bamboo plant. It's used in motivational talks, and basically the story goes of a type of Chinese bamboo. Now, I researched the internet, and I couldn't find if this is just sort of a parable or a story, or if it actually happens, but there's elements of truth in it, which is why I wanted to get this. So the story is that you get a bamboo seed, and you plant that bamboo seed, and you cover it over carefully, and you water it daily, and you look after it, and actually for a long amount of time, nothing really happens. And the story goes that you keep watering it, and after year one, there's nothing really, I can't even really see a shoot, and year two, maybe there's a tiny little bit of a shoot, but not really, year three, year four, and you keep looking after it and caring for it, and then suddenly come year five, there's this explosive growth, and it shoots up many feet each day, and it becomes this really powerful plant, but it looks like nothing's been happening for five years or so. Now, I did research and there was people who were like, this is definitely true, there is a species, one of the 1,400 species of bamboo. Others were like, no, we think it's a bit of a tall tale. But I think the principle is the same. 
I looked at it, the world record for the fastest growing plant is bamboo, and the fastest that they've clocked it at in England, believe it or not, you would think it would be in different climates, is 91 centimeters per day growth. That's when it's at its, um, at its max, so it's a meter per day the culms are growing, which is quite astounding. And uh, they reckon that it's faster in other places. Some guys have quoted it's done three meters in a day. Others have done, uh, have done different quotes, but that's what they say in terms of it. So what happens is, is and, and this, is, this is truth in terms of my research of it, is that you'll get these sort of bamboo shoots, so the plants or whatever else, and bamboos either clump or they run, but they'll, they'll sort of spread out and they might come up with some tiny baby shoots just above the ground, if you imagine this is the ground, and uh, they'll grow like these shoots, but they'll sort of stay like this, and they say that they will stay very small for three to five years. So they'll stay very small and will look like it's um, not really happening. And then they say between that period and three to five years, there is a moment where there is explosive growth, where it will suddenly shoot up and it might do something like this thinner in a matter of days, but when it gets to the bigger size, which is in that three to five years, that's when it does the meter or half a meter every day and there is explosive growth. And then when you start harvesting it, you harvest every year, very different to trees because of how quick that growth is. Byron, thank you very much. Give them a round of applause. That is what I think in many respects, the God of process and how he works in our lives is a lot more like the bamboo plant. I feel that for each of us, God takes us on a journey and involves us coming to faith and then this period of nurturing, hardening, growing in our faith. It may not look externally like a huge amount is happening. It may not look like there's immense growth but he's doing stuff, he's doing stuff internally, he's growing us, he's building us, he's getting our root structures in place, and he's preparing us for a time of immense growth. He's preparing us for a moment, he's preparing us for a season when we step into our purpose that he's prepared us for, and there's explosive growth in our lives and explosive impact, and I know that he wants that for you and he wants us for I. There's some things that can shipwreck or train wreck that process, which I want us to look at today. But I want to see us as bamboo plants here at Harvest. I want to see us as people who don't get worried about the fact that it's taking longer than we thought for God to do things. We don't get worried about the fact that there isn't instantaneous things happening. But we're there for the process. We press into him. We let him do his work and we allow him to prepare us for the moment of impact that he has in our lives. It's my prayer. And uh, the Bible is full of stories of God working through process towards a powerful result. Think of David and Goliath. That was an amazing event, but God had done an awful lot in David's life up until that point. He did a lot of work in the background when David was just looking after sheep, and yes, he was going after lions and bears with his own hands, but (laughs) he... He was growing and developing. You think of Joseph's rise to power. For those of you who may know the story, um, Joseph went through a very long process in jail, out of jail, um, wanting to run away and not being sold as a slave to get to a point of his moment. Ruth's marriage to Boaz. Ruth, where life is looking like it's just going nowhere and there's this process that God takes her on until she ends up marrying Boaz. Peter's preach at Pentecost where thousands of people come to faith. There was a long process he went through to get to that point. There's a lot that he went through in the journey to get there. All feature a powerful result, but all had a fairly long process of learning. God's gonna do that in your life and mine. 
process of struggle, of trial before significant and powerful period in lives. And it really is my deepest desire that we would be a people who are up for the process. In a culture that is against process and is for immediate and now, that we would fight that culture and we would be up for God's process in our lives for him to bring about that result. So we're gonna read from Genesis 5. If you don't have your Bibles, it's gonna be up there. But uh, we're gonna look at a man who allowed God's power of process to work in his life. And some of you may know the story, a man called Noah. We're gonna look at a short little bit of his life. I'm gonna bring out some points on the back of it. So Genesis 5, verses 28 to 32. That's where we're gonna kick it off. You'll see it up there, and then we'll continue reading. So this is what it says. I'll read all together, and then we'll jump back. When Lamech had lived 182 years, so there was a time where people lived a long time, and then actually God limited the days. We'll see it read here, but he limited the days of people's lives actually because of what people got up to when they weren't following him. So people lived a long time, and then as time's gone on, it's been reduced. But when Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years, very impressive, and had other sons and daughters. All the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Okay, so then we're gonna jump across to Genesis 6. So that's giving a little bit of background to Noah, to his early life. He took a while to have kids, so he waited 500 years. Um, he had heard from friends and family about how tough babies were, so he said, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna get myself ready. So he took a long time. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. He walked with God. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing to be said about us at the end of our lives? What would sum up Craig's life? What would sum up Sarah's life? What would sum up their lives? They, they walked with God. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing to be said about you? And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Would have been awkward to have called them Poloni, so that's why he went with Ham. Sounds better. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all the flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And, Noah, and God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you're to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. So a cubit is almost half a meter. So to give you an idea as we're going through, so it's about 150 meters long. Um, it's uh, 25 meters wide and a height about 15 meters. So that gives you a picture a bit longer than a 100 meter um, running track. Think of the width on that as well. Make a room, a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above. Set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with a lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I'm gonna bring floodwaters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kinds and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing on the ground according to its kind. Obviously the fish didn't have to worry about, they could live in the water. And two of every sort shall come in to you to keep them alive. 
Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this and he did all that God commanded of him. Then I'm going to read right up to the moment quickly as to where it actually happened. Then we're going to look back. Then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and all your household, for I've seen that you're righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate. Seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, 40 days and 40 nights, and every, um, and every living thing that I've made I will blot out from the face of the ground. Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came upon the earth. How old was he when he had his kids? 500. Okay. Hey, you guys were listening. Well done. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his son's wife with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. So the Lord tells Moses to build this boat. He says he's going to send a flood. Now there may have been boats at that time. There's a lot of stories saying would people have had boats and those sorts of things. They may well have been, but they would have probably been barges for river travel in the areas that he was in when the rainfall came. So people probably would have made barge type things for transporting, but on a small level. And uh, there would have been rainfall as well. Many people have said that um, they, they, it wouldn't have rained before. Um, that's probably not true. There probably was rainfall before if you look at the ecosystems. Yes, the flood would have changed some of that, but there is a high potential that there was rain in the research that I did. Um, but obviously for the water to cover the whole earth and a boat, it would have taken an immense amount of rain and water from the deep which God brought that miraculous flood that came about. So let's look at that moment when God spoke to know about building the ark. Now, he would have had a number of years to walk with God. It says that he was a righteous man in his generation, right? If we go back and we just quickly jump back, to the start. So these are the generation of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. So up until that point, there would have been a long period of process of him living out his faith in God over many years amongst the people that God considered were absolutely corrupt. So if you think about that process of where he was living, it's a long period of living for God and worshiping him in a very difficult environment. So he was a righteous man. He knew God and he attempted as best as possible to walk with him about 490 years. We don't know when he came to faith, but for a long period. It's a long time of God working in him. It's a long time of that bamboo plant strengthening and growing. So yes, God then reduced a man's lifespan. Um, in Noah's time, he said, I want to put an end to that. But regardless of that, there was a long period of learning faith, hearing God's voice, standing up for truth. For you and I, they'll be the same. Maybe you come to faith, maybe you've been a Christ follower for a while, and you're going, but Lord, it just doesn't feel like you've done anything in my life. It just doesn't feel like it's going anywhere. We'll keep walking with him. Keep walking with him in this generation. Keep close to him. Keep pressing into him. Spend time in his presence. It's process. It's process walking with him. So then he starts to build the ark. Now he gets told to build this ark by the Lord, 150 meters long, 25 meters wide. We'll uh, jump to it. Okay, there we go at the top. So 150 meters long, 25 meters, 50 meters tall. We're not sure about the type of tools that Noah had, but they probably weren't chainsaws and that type of saw like we have today. I would imagine that the type of axes and the type of sharp metal they had to cut was pretty rustic. 
They wouldn't have had the ability to make them as we do. So just thinking in that process starts to give you an idea of how long it would take to build something like that. So conservative estimates, done a lot of research on this, are that it took between 40 to 70 years to build the ark. It's possible that he had extra laborers. It's possible that there were some people who agreed to help that he paid, as well as family. But those are sort of the conservative estimates. Where do I get that? Well, Noah had his first child when he was 500 years old, right? Now, two years after the flood, it says that um, Shem was 100 years old. So that means that uh, he would have been born uh, sort of when Noah was 502, so 98 years running up to the flood. And just say, for instance, that the other two kids, maybe there was a year to two years gap. So that would bring us probably to about 94 years, somewhere around there, 94 years run up to the flood. And it then says, when God spoke to him, that they his sons with his wives. So they would have had to have been able to be married when the ark started to get built. So say they got married at the very early age of 16, each of them, with a short bit of a gap. That gets you into that ballpark of about 70 years, somewhere around there. I would imagine that maybe they, all three of them didn't get married at 16. That would push it out to about that period. And I sat there going, but could it really take that amount of time? In my research, the Bible's quite, could it really take that long? And then I just thought about that process of tools and lack of tools. I thought about how many people would actually help. I thought about getting the pitch. I thought about curving it properly. I thought about that sort of size with very few people and very rustic tools. And I thought, well, it would take a very long time. We think in our terminology of chainsaws and just send it through and just get those beautiful planks. This was cutting down trees. This was waiting for it to dry properly. This was getting it into as best as you could some sort of shape. This was a very long and tedious process. Imagine what daily went through Noah's mind while he was building that ark. God, did I really hear you properly? <laughs> did you really tell me to build this ark? Is a flood actually gonna come or did I just make that up? After one week, after a month, after a year, after three years, Lord, did you really tell me is the flood actually gonna come? I think through that sort of process. Will it really matter, God, if I just give up? Maybe someone else will build the ark. <laughs> Let me just call it quits. <laughs> I've been going three years. We're up about a meter. <laughs> 150 meters long, we've done that. But God, I think I'm just gonna call it quits. Maybe I heard you, maybe I didn't, but let's just give it a break. How often have you felt God tell you to do something and you're tempted to throw in the towel? when it gets tough? How often do you feel he's put something on your heart? Maybe it's to read your Bible in one week. <laughs> Not the whole Bible, but just to read it in a week. Maybe you start on day one and you're just like, okay, I managed a few verses and then day two and you're just like, actually day four, got a bit tough actually. Maybe it's praying for someone to see their lives changed. Maybe it's living for Jesus in a tough environment. It's easy for us to, in the tough process, and it looks like there isn't a clear end, to give up on what God said to us. But imagine 20 years in, imagine 30 years in, how many of us would be up for that level of process? Still loads to do, no sign of a flood. I think I'd probably struggle after a week. <laughs> the trees haven't even cured, I've cut down like four of them. I should imagine cutting down one big tree and what that would take. Don't give up on the process before God does something incredible in your life. What about a little bit of ridicule? No, what, what, what are you doing, hey? Just, just interested in find out, mate. What you, what, what you building there? Building a really big boat, 150 meters, 25 meters. But why? We've got these tiny little streams that run during the rainy season. Um, what, what, what are you gonna do with it? Is it gonna be a, 
sort of a, a hotel you're going to build for travelers through. What are you doing with this thing? Well, actually, because a flood is coming. <laughs> Looks pretty big. Where are you going to sail it? Well, God's going to bring a flood to the earth. Oh, right. You mean just a little bit of rainfall? No, he's going to flood the whole world, and you need to turn to him. I imagine there would have been a lot of ridicule in that time. A lot. Maybe God's put something on your heart and it's brought a little bit of opposition. Maybe he's asked you to step out, to make a stand, to act on what he said in your workplace, in your family, in your friendships groups. Maybe there's a little bit of opposition. Maybe there was a conversation and you felt you needed to say something and that's cost you friendships. Maybe there's a business deal that you felt you needed to say no to because it wasn't right. Stay the course, listen for God's voice. Go through the process. What about family strain? I sort of sit there and go, so there's Moses and he obviously was married. Then you've got the sons who he's getting probably to do some work for him and their wives. I wonder if possibly his wife might have said when he first mentioned it, did you really hear from God? Even a really faithful wife who was excited, maybe after uh, five years or 10 years, I think she might have gone, um, no, I think it's time for you to focus on something different. I mean, maybe God just told you to build a smaller boat. Maybe it, was, it wasn't 300 cubits. You sure it wasn't 30 cubits. You could have got it wrong. Not even her being nasty at all, not even the family, but can you imagine the sons getting a bit frustrated, going like, but dad, are you serious? We're devoting years and years of our life to this. There's never been rainfall like this. His son's hammering and sawing away. Dad, are you sure? Are you really sure? But Noah was faithful. He trusted God's voice even when it felt strange, even when it looked impossible, even when it had large opposition. And the end result was him being part of one of the most significant events in human history. But he could have missed out. He could have missed it along the way. He could have given up halfway through. He could have shipwrecked his faith. And he would have missed out on that moment that had a long period of process and hardening and soil strengthening before that explosive growth. But he put his hand up and he said, God, I'm in. Don't walk away halfway through God's plan for your life. I've heard stories of many people who've bailed out on church, who've given up on something that they really felt God put on their heart when opposition came, when it took longer than they thought, when they got hurt, when they got offended. I just don't want to see you and I miss out on what God has for us because we bail out on the process just before he does something explosive in our lives. Breakthrough could be just around the corner. Trust his voice, be faithful, and stay the course. Just as I close, I want to just go to a verse that I think backs this up. The floodwaters came. 1 Corinthians 15. It's one of my favorite passages, but I think it backs up what Noah lived. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Whatever you're trusting God for in your life, wherever you're looking for breakthrough, whatever you're believing for in a situation, whatever you're putting your mind to and heart to because you believe God has said, you must go for it. You're not in it alone. Every moment with Moses hammering away and cutting, he would have had God whispering and saying, well done, 
keep going. Go for it. You have heard my voice. I'm with you in the process. But for you and I, with Christ who has come and died and paid a great price for us, there's one far greater that we can rely on who's with us in a much closer proximity than Noah ever had. He's the ultimate ark. He's the one who calls us by name and invites us into the ark where we experience life instead of death from the flood. And his name's Jesus. Because in many respects, the story of Noah, whilst it's a great story, it paints an even greater story of what Jesus has done and wants to do in your heart and mine. Because he is the ultimate ark. He is the only one who, um, who saves us from the flood. He's the only one who saves us from destruction. But we need to walk through those doors. The invitation is there and it's not just two by two of animal. He's calling everyone and he's just saying, come. He's saying, come, this is where life is, both saving you from death, but real life. It's with me, it's in my presence in this boat and there's something great coming after. There's something great coming after the flood. Will you come with me? And he invites us to rely on him. He invites us to walk with him. He invites each of us to believe and to receive forgiveness of sins and to walk into true life. So you can trust him as the ultimate knower. You can trust the Lord as God of the process who is doing something in your life and mine. And I so want each of us to see that explosive growth. I want each of us to push through that process, to trust him in the process, to see God do incredible things. I wanna hear testimony after testimony amongst us in our church of breakthrough in personal lives, of breakthrough in business, of an idea that God put in your heart many years ago and it comes to fruition. I wanna see that. But we're only gonna see that if we're prepared for the process rather than instant gratification. Let's pray.